Go talk to people and who are doing different things. It's all too easy for each of us to become really focused on the tasks, you know, tomorrow's task and the task after that. Just go and reach beyond your comfort zone. Hi everyone, I'm Becky. And I'm Rohan, and welcome to After Office Hours, where we get to know engineering professors and leaders outside of the classroom. And hear about their passions, interests, and the stories about how they got to where they are today. Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of After Office Hours. Today we had the pleasure of speaking to Dr. Donna Crenshaw. Yeah, Dr. Crenshaw is the executive director of MedEx, which is the collaboration between the Duke University School of Medicine and the Pratt School of Engineering. Yeah, we had a really interesting conversation with Dr. Crenshaw. She tells us a little bit about her unique path uh, going from getting her PhD to working in the pharmaceutical industry to now working as the executive director of MedEx. Yeah, she talks a lot about her daily role in collaborating both with engineers and entrepreneurs at Duke. So I hope you enjoy. Dr. Crenshaw, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Uh, we're excited to jump in and hear about your interesting and unique career path. But before we get there, I'm curious, what got you interested in science in the first place? So I guess, um, so I grew up in Australia and uh, we spent a lot of time out of doors. And uh, I think I was just very curious. I've always loved being outside um, and I became like a junior naturalist, I guess. So uh, you know, if we were fishing, it was like, wow, what kind of fish is that? Um, if we were, you know, on a boat over the reef, it was like, wow, look at that coral. What is that? Um, surrounded by beautiful birds. I was never happy just sort of looking at the birds. I always wanted to know the name of the bird. <laughs> and I think that was my introduction uh, to just thinking about science in general and recognizing that it wasn't just a matter of looking at it, but it was also, you know, naming and thinking about how things interacted and yeah, I think that's probably how I got started. Wow. So that's really cool. You grew up in Australia. How did mm -hmm. you end up coming to Duke um, from that far away? Uh, so yeah, that was uh, that's an interesting story. Um, one of those weird happenstances, right? So uh, when I was in, I had never left my hometown in Northeastern Australia. And uh, when I was in college, I had the opportunity to do some, just get some research experience at a neighboring federal uh, uh, research institution, the Australian Institute of Marine Science. And um, because it was a federal research uh, institution and it was 50 kilometers outside of town, they used to run uh, commuter cars, shared commuter cars. And I ended up being in the same commuter car with this young American, uh, <laughs> uh, a recent uh, college graduate who was doing getting some research experience at the Australian Institute of Marine Science. We ended up married and we ended up here where we both did our PhDs. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> really? That's funny. I didn't even notice your accent before, but then now that you said you're from Australia, I can hear it 100%. Yeah. Well, I've been here a long time now, so there's not much left. <laughs> right. I was actually born in Australia as well, fun oh. tidbit, yeah, but not for a very long time, so. <laughs> but awesome. So you're currently the executive director of MedEx. Um, can mm -hmm. you tell us a little bit more about what MedEx is and what it's about? Sure. 
So uh, medics came about, um, gosh, now it's probably six, we're in our sixth year, so six years ago. Um, and it was the really the, the outcome of a research town hall where, you know, the question was, or the interest was, where are we um, where we're looking at engineering and medicine at Duke? And there was, you know, there had already been and has been um, some stellar collaborations between the two schools. But I think there was a recognition that there was an opportunity for greater, for more collaboration and maybe ways to make it so that it wasn't so, um, you know, by chance, so much more deliberate. And from that was born MedEx, which is really an initiative. It's a very small group of us that um, um, work to establish more connections between the two schools, help people navigate, fund um, high potential projects at that intersection. Uh, We're supported by the deans for the two schools, medicine and engineering, and also the provost. Um, So uh, that's sort of in a nutshell what it is but really it's to capitalize on um duke's um potential for really leading in this area it's not many campuses and not many universities that have the two schools co-located i mean really it's a short it's a short walk across research drive uh to get between the two and wow that's that's incredible so looking back over the last five or six years, I know Medics was started in around 2015. Uh, what has the program accomplished since then, and how have you played a role in the programs that have been initiated? Uh, so what has it accomplished? Um, we have, I think, spurred, we really have spurred a number of collaborations. Um, I track, you know, it's not just the, the research um studies that we funded, it's also the collaborations that form to apply for grants, right? So people would, may not have had those conversations had we not, you know, offered grant opportunities. Um, there have been some really cool um, collaborations that have resulted in um, new companies or licensed uh, technologies. Um, many have gone on to secure external funding or additional funding to continue the research. So most of our most of our funding is really um, for to see new novel projects. Uh, we're not really as interested in projects that um, collaborators are already working on. What we want to see are new projects and and new ideas. And um, these may be really quite risky in that there's no you know existing data to show the potential for success, but um, um, we're really interested in in, um, in supporting those kinds of projects. Uh, MedEx is also brought to campus, um, helped uh, with the startup packages for uh, uh, PIs um, who have joint appointments in the two schools. And that's really critical, having people who really tie the two schools together. we funded colloquia, where um, and we don't structure what these colloquia are going to look like, but it's just a little bit of funding that help maybe buy lunches so people can begin meeting around a new idea. Perhaps it's you know the idea of hey we need to meet to think about this 
you know, funding opportunity, or I'm really interested in building a community around, say, microbiome research, whatever. Um, so, again, we don't say what the funding has to do. We just say that you need representation from the two schools. Mm-hmm. So with all those goals in mind, uh, is the program mainly focused on helping faculty and targeting programs involving faculty or also graduate students and undergrads as well? Yeah, that's a good question. So most of our emphasis for funding has been for projects has been at the faculty level. However, we um, are really interested in supporting students and student engagement. So we're currently, we have actually for a number of years supported um, uh, at it's kind of an, it started as an interest group from the medical students where they actually had a number of um, engineers involved with this. And this year um, it has been rebranded and revamped, I guess, and has new leadership and that's called IMED. But it's really to support um, medical students and um, anyone else actually on campus who's interested in looking um, and learning more about interactions between the two schools or the two disciplines and what that might offer, I guess, in terms of a new way to think about careers, uh, career choices um, in the future. We also have um, um, we funded some of the projects, the capstone projects at the undergraduate level, um, and the, particularly where there's a clinician who comes with an idea or a problem and says, I really need somebody to work on this. And uh, so we've provided a little bit of funding each year to enable that. Um, And so we're really interested in giving students the opportunity to actually work with clinicians so they see or or get to work on an authentic problem. Um, And I think that's really important. And that's given rise, I think, to some great student projects. And actually, it's very beneficial for the clinician. I'm sure, yeah, that, that sounds incredible. What do you think is the biggest thing that we gain from doing this interdisciplinary work? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a big topic, right? <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I just, um, well, first of all, I think it, to my mind, it's always really interesting to talk to somebody and keep learning from somebody from another discipline. Um, and also to be able to put what you know into a bigger context and get different viewpoints. And I think it's having different viewpoints and diff- somebody who you know can step around a problem and look at it from a different direction can give you additional insights. Um, uh, what else? So it's, and I also think it's really important once you leave your training, um, you know, you go out into the world and you're, you actually have an understanding um, about, you know, different uh, lexicons, right? So everybody has their own jargon for their field. And sometimes you can be in a room and see two people talking about the same topic, but talking past each other because they have no appreciation for the language that the other person is using. And so working in interdisciplinary teams, particularly while you're training, I think is so important because it gives you uh, more of an appreciation about, you know, stepping back and listening and trying to understand 
um, what somebody coming from a different field is is saying. Um, so yeah, I think it's I, and and again, I think it's fun, right? <laughs> Wow, and sort of this teamwork and interdisciplinary collaboration, how has being at Duke especially facilitated this program? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, again, at Duke, it's just so, it should be so easy. We're co-located, right? Um, we have this fabulous medical school, uh, fabulous researchers in the School of Medicine, um, great clinicians, and we have this fabulous School of Engineering um, with great thinkers and a really great educational program as well. So it's just an ideal place for a collision of the two. Exactly. As, as biomedical engineers, we definitely agree with that viewpoint. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not just in biomedical. I mean, think about the, the cool work that's being, you know, that's going on in, um, you know, ECE and machine learning and the opportunity for machine learning in medicine, um, mechanical engineering with and material science things, you know, you've already talked to Ken Gold, like things that he's doing, um, and microbiome work going on in CEE and thinking about the implica implications of, you know, uh, the environment on health. I mean, it's right across the entire School of Engineering. So we shouldn't just focus on BME, though BME is obviously a huge player here. Um, Remind me the the rest of the question again. With... No, I, I think that 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 was perfect. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. I got on my I got on my soapbox there. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's great. I honestly never really thought so deeply about the strong connections that you can draw between the other fields of engineering and medicine, and like the fact that medics is doing this is absolutely fantastic. Right, and I think we are at a point where you know just bringing not just um, the skills of engineering, but the approach. That an engineer builds to a pro uh, brings to a problem. It's this is the this is the goal, and this is how we move to the goal. Thinking about um, um, inculcating design thinking into you know approaching problems is really important, and I think becoming increasingly recognized in all disciplines that it can be hugely beneficial. With your experience as a former researcher, how do you think? Uh, that experience helps you in your current role that's more in leadership and administration? Ah, that's an interesting question. Yeah, so um, I, uh, I do have a PhD in biochemistry. Um, I've always had an interest in uh, protein structure and function. Um, and maybe, maybe there's a little bit of an engineer, you know, sort of <laughs> approach in my thinking. I like to take things apart and then... Um, put them back into situations where I could see how, you know, the changes I made to a molecule actually function in vivo. Um, so that was really the, I guess, the driver behind the research topic I chose um, as a PhD student. And um, I then went on and did a postdoc again at Duke with Tony Means in uh, pharmacology and cancer biology. Uh, I taught for a little while at Duke and one of the classes that I taught was um, advanced optical microscopy, which was kind of cool because you get to, I actually learned a lot about applying uh, different kinds of microscopy to biological problems. Um, and uh, when I decided that I really wanted to look at industry, I found a cool project to work on that was um, at, at the time it was Glaxo Welcome. 
And uh, it was co-sponsored by um, one of the research units and uh, commercial and business analysis. And it was to take, um, then it was uh, uh, an algorithm that had been developed externally looking at the way that um, publications were cited and use that technology to try to identify disruptive innovations. That's fascinating. <laughs> so, which is a really kind of a neat way to step out of academia and into, um, and into industry. So that's probably the larger part of my research um, background. Interesting. And so how do you think being a former scientist researcher, uh, do, you, do you think that that experience has kind of helped you at all in your current role and being able to maybe understand uh, absolutely yeah absolutely yes um, it really is helpful um, when I'm talking to people who are really interested in finding a collaborator but don't know how to or can't get past the you know the websites where <laughs> it's just a description of, yeah. <laughs> um, of it's it kind of gives the highlights of what people are working on uh, but just having at least some knowledge so I can um, better direct people to different collaborators. I have at least a high-level understanding of um, what people are working on or what their objectives and goals are. Um, I can more readily read applications um, and descriptions and try to make connections. So even if my understanding is just high-level, I'm not, um, you know, I don't think I completely missed the boat. <laughs> and it, I also don't find it, um, you know, scary uh, to, to try to make these uh, connections because um, I feel like I have a reasonable grasp of, of what people are saying. So, yeah, that's really helpful. And also, you know, I think um, when you do go through, you do have some research experience, it's, you know, it, um, it helps you be more curious and think about how you act on your curiosity um, in a more targeted way. And I, I, I think that is very helpful um, in, the kinds of, in the kind of role that I'm in right now. And it seems like you're probably in a pretty unique place as someone who interacts with a lot of engineers on a daily basis, but are not trained as an engineer yourself, that probably offers you a unique perspective. Would you say that's true? Right. Um, I probably serve you know, I probably have, um, I, I probably serve many people on the team because I'm not afraid to say, hold on a second, I'm, an, I'm a biochemist. You got to step back a little bit and explain this because I'm sure that there are other people on the team who are thinking. Right, you're probably saying what thing. everyone else is thinking. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So <laughs> um, um, I, I do think that's helpful. Um, also, uh, thinking about the, um, the the application part of it so the engineers may come with great technology understanding and um, but always at the end is how do you apply that technology best and um, i think with the various roles that i've had and through my career i've been able to I, I can sometimes ask those questions how will you apply this and what are the implications so we did a little uh, background searching before this podcast, and we see that you went to school many years after your PhD to pursue a master's in a completely different field. Yeah. What inspired you to make that decision? Yeah, so um, I went back and got a master's of healthcare administration uh, at UNC Chapel Hill. 
And um, I had started out thinking I wanted to get a master's of public health. And the reason I did that, well, there are a few reasons actually. While I was at GlaxoSmithKline, I worked on project teams developing drugs. And part of the question was there, you know, some of the people on those teams, again, diverse teams come together to get a drug to market. And that's absolutely required. Um, but it, there were health outcomes groups involved or, or representatives from global health outcomes on those teams. And really they were asking the question, you know, okay, so you develop the drug, you get it through market, but what are the implications, right? What are the, how will it be used? Um, um, you know, what are other companies doing in the fields? Where have their trials? You know, what can we learn from their studies? Um, so it was asking that once this is in the market question, and I just found that really interesting, right? The why we need to develop this drug and um, the downstream benefits. And I thought that a master's of public health would actually help me there. Um, the program at UNC runs, um, the executive program runs the MPH and MHA, Healthcare Administration Projects in Parallel for much of the program. And uh, I got to a juncture where I had to make a decision about one class versus another. And the one class that looked way more interesting to me was spreadsheet modeling rather than my other <laughs> option, which was environmental health. So um, <laughs> perforce, <laughs> I changed my, uh, <laughs> changed my degree to healthcare administration. <laughs> um, but the other reason I went back was, yeah, you know, I just, I love to learn. And, um, but you know, I can be kind of lazy. So rather than a self-directed program of learning, it was, it just sort of fit my nature a little bit better to be in a structured program. Um, so it was really kind of cool to go back and, and do this, be able to do this, uh, um, and end up with the degree. Yeah, so leading up to when you got your degree and you're sort of thinking about what to do next, mm -hmm. what made you sort of transition yeah. into a more administrative position regarding um, going to a pharmaceutical um, industry versus sort of staying with research? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, um, it did. I realized, I mean, I love research. I love having my own questions and pursuing those. Um, I just got a little tired of, you know, snapping open Eppendorf tubes, I think. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> um, but the other thing is, is, you know, I think we can um, do a little navel gazing as, as just researchers. And I think it's, I really like the idea of, um, thinking about how we take these really, you know, um, important discoveries and make sure that they are used for the betterment of health, for the betterment of society. And more often than not, you really have to have some sort of plan in place to translate that research. And so I think by having, getting some industry experience, I mean, actually be put into product development um, roles, that that was very helpful. Um, then gaining more business experience later also helped me think about, okay, so it's a great idea. How do we commercialize this, right? How do we build a business case around it? Um, and that will, you know, drive translation. So yeah, it was an evolution of, 
of my interests over time. And a little bit of luck and happenstance along the way. <laughs> of course. That, that's really cool. It seems like you've been part of different parts in your career at like every single stage of the drug development imp- implementation process, which is really interesting. I don't know if a lot of people can say that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a kind of a unique role at GlaxoSmithKline. It was in a group that was called, when I started, Information Analysis, um, where we were taught, we were just handed off problems. Can you please give us the background for this or can you you know we have this question can you help us create a landscape and um, you know that will help us make decisions and um, through that job I got to see everything from you know I got to work with basic science teams where they were you know discovering new targets for drugs through to clinical development where they're looking at the clinical studies and project teams where they're actually incorporating everybody into the bigger picture to actually look at all of the stages for getting the drugs to market. And along the way, commercial analysis and corporate intellectual property. So um, I was fortunate I got to touch on pretty much every aspect of the research and development part of drug development. Wow, that's really interesting. So as you've moved through different stages of the drug development process, from being a researcher to now more on the administrative side, what is your experience been with policy. We previously spoke with Dr. Missy Cummings, a professor in the electrical engineering computer engineering department at Duke about the intersection between engineering policy and how she believes they should be better integrated at the undergraduate and graduate levels in terms of education. In your personal experience with MedEx and other committees, how has policy shaped certain decisions that have to be made? Is it something that you and your colleagues consciously think about? Right. Uh, it's incredibly important. Um, it's regulatory policy and, and um, you know, things, you know, privacy concerns as we're cutting, pushing, you know, the envelope. Um, it's, it's, you know, regulatory bodies keeping up with the wave of new technologies coming on board. It's um, assisting with adoption. Um, and uh, driving technology into general use. It's only when you get policy people who are sensitive to a lot of the um, levers and ways to make these technologies accessible, but implemented safely and appropriately, um, it's in, it is incredibly important. And, and Missy is exactly on track there. Yeah, and, and you know, to your point, it's probably good as, as technology begins to be implemented to be pulling in our policy um, people. And maybe that doesn't happen as early as it could. Absolutely. And with the, with the, the rise in machine learning in medicine, I'm sure this is going to become a huge, huge topic <laughs> in the coming oh, years. Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm thinking I, I've lived through a lot of the discussions around, um, you know, genomic and genetic information and how, you know, the privacy concerns with you know, balancing privacy concerns with benefits um, is, is, you know, it's a big topic there in particular. Absolutely. Neat. So I'm curious what your favorite project is in your current role that you've worked on. (sighs) One of my favorites. Hmm. I have, I will say I've really enjoyed working with the design health team. Um, and um, 
helping in some way, I guess, get them off the ground and running. And, uh, and it's now an incredibly successful program. Um, and again, bringing together in, uh, multi disciplines to address clinical um, or problems in, in, in the clinics at Duke. Um, working with the COVID response, engineering response team was, uh, that was a blast. I mean, it was really challenging times early in the pandemic, but, um, just working with a group of really smart people to address some of the needs very locally here at Duke was, was an awesome experience. Um, I've worked with a number of PIs, both in um, engineering and medicine, who are just so committed uh, to doing good, right? Um, gosh, probably too many for me to even enumerate. Um, I've just been just incredibly impressed by the people we have at Duke and their commitment. And um, I mean, just they're just doing some great stuff. Yeah, and... In terms of Medex's response to the COVID pandemic, we saw that the program was involved in helping the effort towards 3D printing face shields. Yeah. What did you learn from that experience uh, throughout just Medex's role in the overall response that Duke had to the pandemic? We spoke a little bit with Dr. Eric Richardson about how design health aided in that effort, but what was your perspective on what went bad, what went good, and I guess what you learned from that? Right. I think, yeah, um, I guess to begin that, I think we were very fortunate that we had, um, I think Medex had a role to play there just by um, having started to build more and more interactions between the two schools. Um, but the response team really built upon design health at that point. So we already had this um this core group that was working uh, to on, on projects between medicine um, and engineering. So we were really fortunate, I think, at Duke that we had that to build upon. Um, and so that was great. Um, also through, you know, I think my role there was really being the person who was like, oh, hmm, okay, I might know someone who could help with that or could help us figure out how to get this approved or whatever. And also, you know, a little bit of the, I guess the project team experience was, okay, I think at this point we need to have a website and we need to be, you know, we have need to have an email address. So a little bit of the structure. Um, so I think just, you know, having people actually having people with industry experience and was I think important. Um, so Eric Richardson, you've spoken to has industry experience. I have industry experience. Um, Paul Ferris has industry experience. Um, um, Chip Bobbitt from the Innovation mm -hmm. Collab, great person, mm -hmm. has also been out in the world. You know, he's not necessarily an academic. Right. So, so I think that that was actually very important. What could we have done better? Well, hmm. I'm sure there was a lot of stuff we could have done better, <laughs> but at the time uh, we were, um, <laughs> everything was happening so fast that, um, and I, I, I don't think we've gone back to 
you know, really tease apart what was done and what we could do in the future that might have made the process more efficient. But, hmm, that's actually a good thought. We might need to do that. Hope, hopefully you'll never have to test, <laughs> test that. <laughs> exactly. I agree. And, and along those lines, what, what do you see for MedEx in the next five years, 10 years? Where is the direction that, that you, we're headed? So those fill the secrets, yeah. Um, well, one of the things that Jeff Ginsburg, who's a director of MedEx, and I've been talking about is this idea that you know there are engineers all over campus. They don't just reside in engineering um, or people who apply engineering principles. And so one goal is to really discover the engineers in the in the rest of campus, those people who are engineering for health, if you will. Um, so that's a big, that's a goal. Um, also to be more sensitive, I guess, to our approach um, and make sure that we're being as inclusive as we can to get as many different voices uh, involved that we can. Um, so that's another goal. Uh, I think those are probably the two biggest goals and I think through both of those efforts we'll yeah I think we'll just enrich the um, the program that much more and to find these people on campus uh, and to really recruit people who are interested in working on projects that medics deals with on a daily basis how do you go about recruiting these people and showing them that these opportunities exist what have you done in the past as uh, the executive director of medics and what's in store for the future in terms of allowing people who are not just in the engineering school to partake in this collaborative effort. Yeah, yeah. A um, couple of ways that we've thought about it, um, and these are sort of low-hanging fruit, and this is more faculty-focused, is to try to stand up specific grant opportunities for people who may not be in engineering but are really applying engineering principles or new technologies to, for us, it's, it's really a medical healthcare related, um, question. So there's that, uh, we do, I think need to do have more just forums on this, right. Um, build or, or create opportunities for new conversations. And so hopefully we can, um, sort of, I guess, engineer encounters, <laughs> Right. You can't underplay the value and importance of getting just a bunch of different people in a room together and ridiculous things happen after that. So that's incredible. Yeah. I guess you just have to increase the chance that two professors um, meet each other and we'll start a collaboration. We were speaking with Dr. Soren earlier on the podcast and mm -hmm. he was speaking about how yep. a dean's luncheon actually initiated the collaboration that eventually resulted in his founding his company. Collisions. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. No, you're, you're spot on there. So as we sort of start to wrap up, I am curious, you have a very interesting career path with, um, I guess, I'm sure you were not able to see where you are now back when you were um, an undergraduate or in your PhD. What advice do you have for current, um, current undergraduate students or PhD students who are perhaps unsure what they want to do, unsure what they want to, what they want their career to be? What advice would you have for them? Oh, go talk to people. You know, even if it seems like the most off the wall conversation, go go have it. You know, go talk to people and who are doing different things. Um, 
it's all too easy for each of us to become really focused on the tasks, you know, tomorrow's task and the task after that, you know, get through prelims, you know, finish your research, um, just go and reach beyond your comfort zone. Um, talk to somebody in industry, talk to somebody who's has a PhD, but maybe looking at patents, you know, just think about what, don't even think about it, you know, just, well, yeah, you have to think about it. But, um, you know, sometimes you, if you think about it, you could talk yourself out of something because it's maybe not, doesn't seem like the rational next step. But yeah, go talk to a designer, you know, go have those conversations, I think, and every opportunity you can to um, present, you should be presenting and, you know, learning to talk to different people and, um yeah, I, I think it's really important to stay fresh in what you're doing. For an engineer to go talk to a group of clinicians and say, hey, I'm doing this. This is what I know how to do really well. Um, I think it could be, it is, I'm sure, incredibly exciting for somebody to step forward and say, hold on a minute, that sounds actually really cool. Could we apply it here? And all of a sudden there's a new direction. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what we're trying to do, honestly, with the podcast is just get a bunch of different people from different perspectives and bring them together on, on one platform. So we appreciate that advice. Absolutely. Kudos to you guys. <laughs> Somebody should interview you. Why did you do this? You know, <laughs> How did you get started? <laughs> wow. So as we wrap up, we always like to ask our guests two sort of rapid fire questions. The first is... What is the last book you read or what is a book that you would recommend to our listeners that you really liked? Right. The last book I read, let me go to my app and I will tell you that because it's, um, you know, this is a problem when you're reading. Uh, you don't get, uh, uh, using a digital device, you don't have the constant reminder of the cover. Right. <laughs> oh, that's so true. So, are, you, are you an e-book reader these days? I am. I am. It was about Winston Churchill, <laughs> oddly enough. Interesting. Yeah. The Splendid and the Vile. The Splendid and the Vile. By Eric Larson. Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh, it was about, it was, um, it was sort of this very first person or look at Winston Churchill and, and, and his actions during World War II and it was entertaining and, um, you know, not dry at all. Yeah, that's, that sounds very interesting. I'll have to add it to my list. Um, and so the next question that we like to ask our guests is if you are a coffee or tea drinker, and if so, what is your go-to go -to drink? I drink both, but first thing in the morning, it's got to be coffee. <laughs> I, even though I grew up on tea. Right, I was going to say, it's very, <laughs> very cool. Awesome. Well, Dr. Crenshaw, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. We really enjoyed this conversation and all of your insights and everything. So thank you. Thanks, you guys. I really enjoyed it. It was great talking to you. Thank you to Dr. Crenshaw for speaking with us. That was a great conversation. Yeah, I especially love that take about how Duke Medics was involved in the response that Duke Engineering had uh, with COVID. Yeah, it's been really cool to hear about that from different perspectives from different guests we've had on the podcast. Um, and now hearing it from the someone on the medic side is really, really neat as well. Yeah, so I hope you enjoyed. Uh, feel free to check out our episodes dropping every Tuesday. 
You can follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts at After Office Hours or on Instagram at After Double Underscore Office Hours. We'll catch you on the flip flop. On the flippity flop. <laughs>